Hi, I'm Dr. John Newfeld, and this is Truth in Life Today. Today, we're going to talk about the day in Canadian law in which everything changed. The way in which the Supreme Court of Canada thinks about religion has just changed. Were you aware? Stay tuned. You're going to hear more. It's important to face these realities because unless we do, we'll never know what to do next. We're going to have an opportunity to meet Bob Kuhn. Bob is a lawyer. He's been practicing law for over 40 years. Uh, He's had his own firm in British Columbia for about 26 years. Um, Bob also has been the president of the largest Christian university in Canada. It's Trinity Western University. And in his role as president and in his role as a lawyer, those two roles came together for him as Trinity Western University was prevented from starting a school of law by what the Supreme Court of Canada said. Does this matter? And does it affect all of our Christian institutions? You're going to want to hear this. Bob is insightful. He's articulate. And he'll help us to understand a very complex situation. And he'll help us also as believers to understand the present hour, to both be concerned and to have hope at the same time. It's a pleasure to have Bob Kuhn with me today. Bob, welcome to Truth and Life Today. It's a joy to have you. Pleasure to be here. Uh, I've not had the opportunity of interviewing a Christian lawyer. There are some that say that just can't happen, but uh, you are a Christian and you're a lawyer. Some would define that as an oxymoron. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But you've also been for, I think, six years. You were the president of Trinity Western University. And in that role, you actually took the school through, I think— probably the most momentous days in the history of the school. Am I right with that? I think certainly it qualifies as the most challenging time for Christians generally, but Trinity Western and representing the Christian culture in Canada. I think the beginning of the thing started in a benign way. Uh, You had made plans. You are a lawyer. You had made plans to begin a law school at Trinity Western. I think there's a nursing school already. There's a, a teacher's school. So this was just the next step, uh, moving the university forward. And then everything came to a screeching halt. Would that be right? Yes. In December of 2014, it came to a a bit of a head. And uh, up until then, the plans which had taken place over a period of almost 10 years were going very well. And certainly quality of the law school anticipated and professors in the desire for many people to have a Christian law school were, were running high. Yeah, so if I, I think I'm right by saying I think it was the only Christian law school that we presently would have had in our nation. That's correct, ever. Yeah, yeah so this was really uh, monumental, and then something happened to bring those plans to a halt. Mm. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the Law Society, specifically in British Columbia, uh, was influenced by the strong uh, activism of a number of lawyers who felt that a Christian law school was inappropriate in our diverse culture. And uh, so they mounted a a bit of a campaign which uh, led to the vote of the profession, one of the largest meetings ever held of the legal profession in British Columbia, attended by a significant number, and usually meetings of lawyers don't attract such numbers. 
And in that case, there was uh, 25% of the voters said we would like, we're, we're okay with the Christian law school, and 75% voted against it. Now, did they say that there were, there were grounds then? Why was it inappropriate? And we talked by saying, you know, maybe a Christian lawyer is an oxymoron, but strangely enough, there were non-Christians who said it's an oxymoron as well. Yes, I think that the biggest feature of the refusal to accept a Christian law school was the what we'll call the community conduct or community standards. Uh, community standards are really the Christian principles uh, that we would uh, advocate for, for instance, uh, marriage between a man and a woman as being the God-ordained uh, way in which marriage is to be. Now, I recall that Trinity Western had a document which all students were required to sign. It was a covenant in which they would live according to certain Christian standards, and it included no sex outside of marriage. That's correct. And it was, isn't it that, that statement that was the offensive statement in the end of the day? Uh, well, at the beginning, that was certainly the focus, and it remained somewhat the focus during the uh, next number of years where this matter wound its way through the courts. But in fact, it was much more expansive than that as it developed. It, it really came to an objection on the part of many to a an exclusively Christian view as opposed to a broader religious inclusive uh, perspective. So while it started with a marriage between a man and a woman and sexual uh, uh, activity being limited to between men and women, um, it, it broadened in its scope to being opposed, for instance, to abortion or other aspect, other behavioral aspects of what we would call typically Christian principles or Christian values. I see. So these standards would have excluded you. Now, Bob, you had been through something similar uh, years before when Trinity Western had started a teacher's college. And, um, and at that point in time, you weren't the president of Trinity Western, but you represented Trinity Western all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. Yes. I was privileged to uh, represent uh, my alma mater, which is Trinity Western, uh, through to the Supreme Court of Canada, and we were successful in the Supreme Court of Canada when we were dealing with the teachers, uh, College of Teachers, BC College of Teachers, and their initial decision to refuse permission to have Trinity allowed to operate a, a full-fledged, if you will, Christian school of teachers. And we were successful in that. Um, so you prevailed there, and then the situation with the law school seemed so similar to most of us who were watching from a distance, but you didn't prevail there. And I wonder for those of us who are watching who know a little bit about it, could you explain to us how, what is it that the Supreme Court actually said, and how does that impact Christians who are watching this? Well, it's, it's obviously not a, simpler, a simple question, but uh, one that can be explained as being a conflict arose in legal concept and legal principles between uh, the freedom of religion found in Section 2 of the Charter of our country, which protects us, all of us, against activity by the government that would infringe on our freedom of religion. Now, when we talked before, you said that this was a foundational right. Explain that. Yes, yeah, a fundamental right. Uh, the freedom of religion is, is stated in the Charter to be a fundamental right. 
Uh, it's difficult to conceive of things that would be more fundamental than, than that. Uh, but in this case, the Supreme Court of Canada found, notwithstanding decisions by other courts, lower courts uh, to the contrary, that current charter values, including the right to same-sex marriage, uh, effectively trump the ability to maintain your freedom of religion. So discrimination or equality rights, as they're found in Section 15, which are not designated fundamental rights, uh, in effect, over, overrode the uh, rights that we would have to religious freedom. The question that I have for you is, has the Supreme Court of Canada ever had a ruling that is remotely like that, or is this a, a new precedent that has been now set in this country? I think most uh, lawyers who are students of this particular area of the law would conclude that this is an extraordinary conclusion uh, of law, uh, one that you can only understand in the context of sort of societal views, but not legal principles. Um, as Christians look at this, uh, we, we have, many of us have pondered this. I mean, first of all, the effect at Trinity Western. Maybe we should clear that up because a great many people across this country will say Trinity Western just simply pulled the standard of Christian behavior and no longer requires it. So take a little bit of time and explain what it is that Trinity did now that the ruling has come down. Well, the decision of the Supreme Court of Canada effectively said that Trinity Western could have its uh, law school provided it did not compel students to sign the community covenant. And that, that sort of shorthand for saying uh, not being seen as discriminatory so that's, that's the, the conclusion. So therefore, the board of directors uh, referred to the fact that, well, do we need to abandon the principles? And the decision was no. Uh, what we needed to do was make it an optional document effectively. No student has to sign it. No student does sign it. But the principles, the, the standards remain the same as they were before. So can I say it this way, that whereas the standards remain the same, you can't compel a student to do so. Then again, in the past, I don't think you did either, did you, or did you? Well, it was a, it's a community issue. It's a, something a community deals with. People who don't want a Christian education don't come to Trinity, typically. Now, that there are exceptions to that, and certainly we've had a broad diversity of of students at Trinity Western, but uh, we're, we're seeking to maintain the culture without compelling all attendees at the school to opt for what, what we would consider Christian values. Um, so the, there may be conflicts between those two, and those conflicts are resolved in a community uh, environment where people are, are really, their, their needs and their, um, uh, their values are addressed in, in a, in a relational context. So. so so, can we say that Trinity Western is still operating according to the same, you know, foundational Christian moral principles as it did before? Yes. I think that's important for us to hear. Uh, when we come back, Bob, I think you and I need to talk about, is there anything in the ruling by the Supreme Court of Canada that has changed in the way in which churches can function and other Christian organizations as well? So I'm looking forward to that discussion. Uh, Bob, thanks for being here and uh, encourage you to, to stay with us. We're going to be right back right here on Truth and Life today. I'm back with Bob Kuhn, who uh, was the past president of Trinity Western University. 
uh, a Christian university in Canada, as well as a, as a lawyer who's practiced law, I think, some 40 years in this country. Uh, you've been to the Supreme Court twice that I know of. You may have been other times. Well, I didn't actually appear in the Supreme Court. I was present when the Supreme Court made its decision or heard argument on the second case. I was leading the argument on the first case. I see. Uh, but yes, that's, uh, I've been involved in really two major chapters of the legal history of Trinity Western in our country. Yeah, and, and I think most lawyers in this country will say they've never appeared there once. So I think it's, uh, it's uh, quite an accomplished career. But, Bob, I think uh, we need to talk about uh, a decision that has come, which basically says that individual rights can trump now um, religious freedom. And if that's so, how might that affect what Christians are doing today in this country? Um, Can it affect the hiring practices of a local church, for instance? Yeah, I think I think the broad implications of the decision made by the Supreme Court of Canada in the Trinity Western case, the second case involving the law school, broad implications are 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 really quite dramatic. And uh, while I don't want to state it in a sort of chicken little sky as falling context, I think Christians in Canada have to recognize they are not in majority position; they are in a minority position. Now, from some perspectives, that's a good thing. Minority rights are protected by our laws. But there's tremendous pressure on our lawmakers and on the judicial function in Canada to accommodate the, what we've called the charter or societal values. That's a term that comes from the Supreme Court of Canada. In effect, things change, values change. And as society moves, we see it in the news all the time. As issues come up and capture the imagination or the uh, support of uh, the society we live in, they, they are not necessarily supportive of a Christian uh, perspective. A Christian perspective worked out in a work environment uh, where employees are concerned uh, and, and their rights to have their religious freedom protected. And churches who have become, to some extent, uh, dependent on the culture around, for instance, tax deductibility of mm-hmm of uh, donations uh, that that has been aimed at as a target for some who don't want churches to have that benefit um, and so it, it it permeates into all aspects of of our christian uh, experience uh, not just uh, a law school at a at trinity western university uh, it it's a has very broad implications you know, I mean, there was a time in which, you know, when we, we think about the birth of uh, the tax exemptions that churches enjoy, and of course at that time it was thought that if a, a church prospers in the culture, the culture prospers. So the aims of the culture and the aims of the church in some ways were seen to be the same. I think we've now come to a place where that's no longer the case. And so you're asking the question, uh, will those tax-exempt statuses remain? And that might be an issue. But the question that I have is a church hires, let's say, a church secretary. A number of churches will require the church secretary to be um, a member of the church. And as a member of the church, she must be in full compliance with the statement of faith. Somewhere along the way, she decides um, she's going to have a live-in relationship uh, with someone which which puts her at odds with the Christian community. She may lose her job. She may take them to court. From what you've seen now, where do we stand? 
Well, I, I don't want to predetermine the outcome of, of uh, a dispute such as that, but let me say that the, the implications of the Supreme Court of Canada decision is that those uh, are under much tighter scrutiny and the degree to which there uh, actually is a conflict between values, who, who should be the successor in those conflicts. So the situation you described is, is a risk that most people wouldn't have guessed that would have been there a few years ago. But I think now it's going to be much more difficult to sustain the importance of religious uh, community and its values when dealing with individual rights. Let's talk, Bob, for a moment of what happens to the Christian community. I mean, you're, you're in a unique position. You're, you're an educator uh, who's led the largest Christian university in this country. Um, you're also a practicing lawyer who's been very successful. You have a large firm. So you have a wide scope. But I know that you're also committed to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Um, as, as a Christian believer, as a leader in the Christian community, um, is there a word that you can say to Christians who are now finding themselves like Daniel? I mean, Daniel is taken to a strange land. In essence, we haven't gone anywhere, and yet the land we now live in is a strange land. How should we think now? I mean, um, should we be distraught? Should we be hopeful? Um, is there counsel you can give to the Christian community at this time? It's difficult to take things and apply a general principle to different contexts. I think we're uh, in danger often. The Christian communities and, and individuals are in danger often of, of playing to the extreme and saying the sky is falling in and we must do everything possible to protect uh, versus an accommodation that says, well, what choice do we have? We just need to roll over and, and play dead on this one. But the reality is that our churches and our Christian organizations and, and uh, individually, we need to show leadership and the principles of, of biblical truth come through at times uh, that sometimes uh, we would just as soon avoid. But uh, I, I believe that we need leadership. We need people who are prepared to accept the fact that uh, all things are not as easy as they used to be. Uh, I think we need hope. Uh, and uh, we have serve a God of hope. And uh, how, do we, how do we sustain that hope? Um, we sustain it, I think, through uh, regular um, endorsement, if you will, of the values by which Christians are called to live. And uh, taking that calling seriously, taking that calling as, um, as individuals, as, as organizations, seems to me the challenge before us today, I think, is the challenge of courage, but it's also the challenge of gentleness. Um, so if we stand for Christ in a day like this, I, I think the, the invitational uh, Jesus who loves the sinner um, and at the same time is courageous enough to confront sin, um, is, the, you know, is there something that we can do? I mean, you, you led a Christian university at this hour. If you're there's a new president in the university that you led for six years. Uh, is there counsel that you have for Trinity Western and then for other Christian organizations as well? What is it that we need to be careful to do and not to do? I think we need to be careful to understand, uh, to listen, to uh, maintain a soft answer wherever viable. And 
And secondly, I think we need to care about people and serve them. And that means it's a, it's a bit like the legal profession. The legal profession was intended to be a helping profession. Uh, most days, recently, it's considered a self-helping profession, which is unfortunate. So I think we need to restore the importance of serving our communities, both with integrity and uh, with a, a passion for he helping our fellow Canadians uh, deal with some of the very difficult issues that we've got to struggle with, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol. So instead of hiving off and, you know, so the world is out there and we don't like them a whole awful lot and we're just holding on till Jesus comes again, you're actually calling us to an engagement with culture perhaps in a renewed way. Yeah, I think it's going to be more difficult to do that engagement, to, to not be... Um, gun shy of of uh, accusations being hurled against Christians, but it's catch twenty two. If we if we don't maintain that uh, loving, caring, um, gentle manner, then we probably won't generate the kind of respect. I think just that's purely human dynamic, but I think God calls us to that through His scriptures. Is there something from a scripture itself that gives you hope? Is there a, a text of scripture that you go to personally that helps you in this area? Yeah, my life verse, which I actually uh, was given to me in my first year at Trinity Western in 1970, is Romans 8:28, And I found that if I could believe that all things work together for good for those who are loved and called according to his name, if I can believe that, then... That is truly a freeing and uh, motivating uh, uh, force in my life. And I, 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 so I, I cling to that verse that no matter what happens, uh, be it my own health challenges or uh, challenges at the Supreme Court of Canada, that uh, God is at work and uh, it, it will turn out for good. That's a hopeful note to end on. Uh, Bob Kuhn, thank you so much for being a part of Truth and Life today. Whatever God has for you in the next chapter of your life, I am sure that God will use you greatly uh, until the time that he either calls us home or he, in fact, returns again. Thank you for being a part. Thank you. There are two passages in Scripture that seem to, at least at first brush, uh, seem somewhat contradictory. On the one hand, we have Romans 13, in which we are told as believers that we are to submit to governing authorities and we are to do what they tell us to do. However, we also have another passage, and this one comes from Acts chapter 4, and it begins in verse 18. Uh, Peter and John had been proclaiming Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin, which was the ruling law at the time, gave them a command. I'm reading verse 18 of chapter 4. It says, So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's what the ruling council, that's, if you will, that's what the Supreme Court told them to do. Uh, verse 19 says, Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. Um, we have here a case of genuine civil disobedience. Uh, Christians, I think, are always very slow to come to civil disobedience. It is our natural tendency as believers to recognize that there is no authority in place that has not been placed over us by God. Uh, 
Those that give their task to governing and to legal work in this country have been appointed by God. And it is the obligation for every believer to say, we honor you and we seek in every way to submit to your authority. But there are those times when we as believers will have to say, we can't go any further because what you have ordered us to do comes in, in, in opposition to what Christ has called us to do. And if it's a question of whether Caesar is Lord or Christ is Lord, our answer will always be unequivocal. Jesus Christ alone is Lord, and to him alone belongs our ultimate loyalty. You know, in this country, we've gone in, in a number of very interesting ways. There was a time in this country where the Christian faith was considered central to this country and which the non-Christian world around us was in agreement, especially about moral principles. Well, those times, of course, are now far behind us. We now find ourselves in an awkward position. We often advocate a way of living which can sometimes be called hateful, uh, simply calling for a an individual to refrain from all sexual activity until marriage uh, seems to some to be over-the-top, unrealistic, even extremist. And yet we have this teaching from Christ himself. He has called us to be faithful to his word and faithful to his command. And since he is Lord, we will obey him. And so we've seen that there is in this country this significant shift that has happened And it has left Canadian Christians in this awkward place. What should we now do? I think we need to do a number of things. And one is we need to continue to speak as positively as we can about those who govern over us. Our impulse will always be the same. We will pray for those in authority and we will seek their welfare. We want the leaders of our nation to know that Christians are not your enemy. Indeed, we are praying faithfully for you. At the same time, we're also wanting to say something else. If you ask us to do something which Christ has commanded us not to do, we will say a very affirmative no. We will say it boldly, but we will also say it lovingly. And so whatever the future holds for us, let's remember as believers, it's no different than what Christians have experienced all over the world. Suffering is often our lot. Christ calls us to this. Let's not be afraid. Let's continue to be loving. Let's continue to be thoroughly and completely Christian. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, and please make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more interviews, episodes, and Bible teaching content. Uh, Thanks for joining us today.